0: It's hard to know how Trump truly feels about his supporters, but he has made one thing clear. He believes they are incredibly loyal to him. The people, my people are so smart. And you know what else they say about my people? The polls. They say, I have the most loyal people. Did you ever see that? Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's like incredible. Scarily, if past polling is to be relied upon, this statement isn't far off reality. A survey from Public Policy Polling in 2017 found that 45% of Trump voters said they would approve of the former president shooting someone on Fifth Avenue. Only 29% firmly disapproved. Several years on, Trump hasn't shot anyone, but he is forever tied to political violence following the events of January 6th. And yet there are still millions of people who want to vote for him. But who are they? I'm Jacob Jarvis, and joining me to discuss this for The Bunker USA is Thomas Gift, founding director of UCL's Center on US Politics. Hello, Thomas. Welcome to The Bunker. Thanks so much for having me, Jacob. It's great to be here. Thomas, you recently wrote that there are five groups of Trump supporters in a piece for The Hill. I always find it quite strange thinking there are people who still obviously really like this man but clearly there are millions of them so let's start with the ones who would appear to to love him the most let's say the the true believers could you sum who they are up in a nutshell for me
1: Sure. The true believers are basically what I think of as the Trump base, and they're really the ones who wouldn't care if Donald Trump uh, shot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue. These are voters who don Make America Great Again hats. They're the ones who keep their TV glued now to Newsmax because Fox News has become too tame. They really support Trump's big lie and, and believe firmly that the election was stolen. These are these are voters, um, essentially from day one of his presidency and up until now, have never abandoned him. You know, we just heard so many times during Trump's administration, from RussiaGate to um, impeachment one to impeachment two uh, January 6th, et cetera, that Donald Trump was on the ropes, that he was eventually going to lose his support and that sort of this uh, resilient group who always stood by him would finally see the light. But it basically never happened. It's maybe 40 to 50% of the Republican electorate, You know, maybe 25 to 30% of the American electorate as, as a whole. But th- yeah. these are voters who just uh, can't get enough of Donald Trump.
0: Are they pursuing a sort of sunk cost fallacy here almost in that they've they feel they've invested so much into Donald Trump and they've stood by so much of his his nonsense and awful behavior that to turn back upon that then would be almost turning back upon a what's become a facet of their their own personality now, or is it am I overthinking it? Is it more simply that they they just really like Donald Trump? They like how he speaks, they like the things he says, and they like what he does. And they thought he was a good president, so they're still there for him.
1: Well, I think it's certainly a little bit of both. I mean, they do certainly believe in Donald Trump's agenda, and they are firmly uh, behind him in many of the different policies that uh, he advocates. But I do think that supporting Trump has become part and parcel of their identity. You know, uh, Trump supporters have been uh, likened to a, a cult, um, and I don't think that that's uh, far off. I mean, Donald Trump uh, elicits a sort of religious-like fervor among many of his most ardent supporters. And so I do think that there's a cultural dimension to this insofar as those who say, I'm never going to abandon Trump, they, they see Trump in themselves, right? And, and Trump has been very effective at making the case that anytime the government or Democrats or the deep state go after him that they are, by extension, going after his base. So he, he's done a really effective job, I think, of coalescing this group and kind of seeing both himself and them as one and the same.
0: With the sort of profile of these people, I would assume that they are very much actually not whatsoever like donald trump because there simply aren't very many people in the world who have had the the family background or the financial background or the career background he has had so what are they like are there some sort of characteristics which which bind them together or are they quite disparate
1: i certainly agree that one of the big ironies of donald trump's support is that his supporters are totally uh, unlike him you know donald trump of course grew up in privilege, you know, urban Manhattanite, multi multi-millionaire, Um, this is not the Trump electorate at all. And so you do wonder sometimes what they see in him. I think that the typical Trump voter who's part of his base is fairly diverse, but you know, disproportionately um, it's white, um, disproportionately it's male and disproportionately it's older. Uh, A lot of these uh, voters, of course, are in red states, heartland of the country, Um, many lived either in rural areas or areas that have been really gutted by uh, globalization and have experienced significant deindustrialization and jobs being taken away from their hometown. So I think that this is sort of what we think of as the, the
0: typical Trump voter, if you just had one in your mind. Secondly, you wrote in your list about reluctant supporters. Who are they and what motivates them to want to to back Trump, even though they they kind of don't entirely want to back Trump?
1: Well, as the name implies, reluctant supporters are uh, voters who don't love Trump. They're not the ones who are the core part of his base. And some are even, you know, repulsed by his behavior and his social media posts. These include a lot of uh, single issue voters, um, particularly on an issue like abortion. You know, many are evangelical uh, Christians, again, a group that. Uh, based on their characteristics, you think would not want to get behind Donald Trump. They also include voters who like Trump because of specific policies like tax cuts or deregulation or like installing conservative Supreme Court justices. So so they sort of like the Trump agenda. They're much more focused on policy than the true believers. And they would be, you know, in many respects, just as happy with another Republican who is not so you know, immoral, um, <laughs> not, not so you know, crazy in lots of respect. They, they just have sort of an idea of what they think the Republican Party should be. And so they reluctantly support Trump because he does, at the end of the day, push those particular items.
0: Trump's policy agenda, to me, often seems to be quite scatigan. And that in part seems to be because of how his own brain works and also because of the, the varying... Degrees of advice he's had, let's say, whether good or bad or inconsistent or consistent upon him, but actually is what is happening there. He's making a judgment on the fact that he knows there are people who will will make a deal with the devil if he goes hard on something which might seem extreme. So for him, the judgment there don't have a consensus on policy, don't have one sort of platform which, which makes sense go for a few really hard things because he knows that he can wit- he can pick off voters in groups as you say like evangelicals by saying hey you might hate everything else I do but here's one really emotive policy upon which you'll support me so they'll they'll go for him anyway i think that's a reasonable
1: interpretation i mean to my mind donald trump on policy is not that much different from Every other bread and butter Republican, you know, when you think about tax cuts, when you think about deregulation, when you think about conservative Supreme Court appointments, a lot of the things that Trump did in, in office domestically, just on those core policy issues, I don't think would differ very much from you know a president like uh, Mitt Romney if he were ever in office, or you know if someone like John McCain were ever in office. So I don't think really Donald Trump on those particular policies is much different. You know, a lot of people were skeptical about the fact that you know donald trump would actually install conservative supreme court justices they didn't think that he was that ideological they thought you know at at the outset maybe he would back away from that turned out that he basically did every single thing that republicans wanted Uh, where donald trump really does differ i think substantially from your sort of vanilla republican would be on foreign policy where he's just much more impulsive, uh, much more volatile, uh, much more skeptical of the international community as it stands. And also just in terms of his uh, approach to domestic institutions, uh, the rule of law, the independent judiciary, congressional oversight, where he really just took a a sledgehammer to all of these uh, executive norms.
0: On to the third group now then, anti-Bideners, who are they and what makes them stand out distinctly as, as anti-Bideners as opposed to, I suppose, anyone who would vote for Trump? You would assume it's somewhat anti-Biden, but what makes them uniquely anti-Biden in that way? And why did you choose to characterize them as a group?
1: So the anti-Bideners uh, really want to beat Biden more than they want uh, Trump or any sort of Republican to win. And instinctually, they view Biden as Donald Trump's foil. And so by default, Because he's a Democrat, they want to oust him uh, for office. They don't like what Joe Biden stands for. They don't like what Democrats stand for. They particularly don't like what the progressive base has come to stand for. And they attach lots of different policies to to this. So, inflation, certainly. But they tend to be more focused on what I would call culture war issues, right? Critical race theory, uh, wokeism. They sort of associate this with the Democratic Party, um, with the political left, and they are just culturally sort of out of sync with this particular agenda. You know, most of all, this group really just wants the White House back. They don't want a Democrat to be in office. And so, again, it, it's less a matter of, is this Donald Trump versus someone else? But it's, how can we beat Biden?
0: Is this a group that is somewhat also of uh, of Biden's making, in a way? I mean, the, the way he ran his campaign was very much... In taking on the anti-Trumpers and the the Never Trumpers from the Republicans and and those sort of people who were motivated to vote against Trump, we we often speak about how how Donald Trump has changed the political narrative, but have the Democrats perhaps somewhat created a hurdle for themselves by having ran so hard on being anti-Trump that it, it's natural that there is a, a sort of other side to that coin, which is the anti-Biden.
1: Well, I think that that's accurate, uh, and you know, I, I'd say two things on that. One is that if you think about going forward in 2024, it's really difficult to identify one particular policy issue or topic that uh, Biden has really emphasized, besides the fact that you know this is a battle between democracy and authoritarianism, and we really don't want Donald Trump to be in office. So in, in some sense, it's running... A relatively negative campaign, I would say, rather than a positive one. You know, it's not setting forth a clear vision for what the next four years would be like. You know, and he can say that that's been a a problem with public relations. But you know, I, I think ultimately he just hasn't articulated that. Uh, and the second thing I would say is, right, I, I do think that a, a lot of voters weren't expecting the Biden administration that they got. Um, in 2020, he promised to be a, a healer, uniter in chief, promised to end all the polarization, the political divisions, and I think that that was always too high of a task to begin with. You know, some of these problems are just so deeply baked into the American political scene that no president uh, was going to, to solve them. But you know, I think you can reasonably make the case that you know Biden did kind of pivot left. Particularly on some big spending bills at the beginning uh, of his administration. And maybe he has pandered a little bit more to the far left of his party than some uh, initially expected. So I think, you know, for both of those reasons, it's, it's sort of uh, reinforced and galvanized this anti Biden camp.
0: Has Biden almost certainly like been more successful than it is considered in terms of getting things done for the people who genuinely wanted a Democrat in office? and therefore that now for going for a second term is is creating him a problem because as you say it's creating more of a group of people who want to want to go against him even if it might actually energize the people who want to truly vote for him rather than using it as a kind of protest i don't like the other the other candidate vote
1: i definitely think that there's some truth in what you're saying a lot of voters i think just viewed joe biden as a placeholder president they were Tired uh, and just sick of all of the the turbulence and the turmoil that came out of uh, Donald Trump's presidency, and they just wanted to get back to to normal politics. Uh, and by normal politics, basically just wanting a president maybe that wasn't getting very much done, that didn't have a very um, active or ambitious agenda. You know, whenever you look policy by policy, I think Joe Biden has gotten more done than he's been given credit for, right? And you could say, right, ironically, maybe that has triggered some backlash from voters who really didn't want some of these big ambitious uh, spending bills, didn't want the infrastructure bill, you know, didn't want Build Back Better, uh, didn't want this big COVID package at the outset. So, yeah, I don't want to say he's been a a victim of his own success. I think certainly (laughs) this White House has had uh, lots of uh, problems, and there's a reason why his approval numbers are what they are, but I do think, you know, to the extent that he has satisfied some elements of the democratic party that's turned off um, some moderates and, and certainly Republicans.
0: Now fourth, the fourth group you wrote about is the bandwagoners. Could you tell me about this group?
1: When it comes to the bandwagoners, uh, these are voters who are just loyal to the Republican Party. Now, they view politics as sort of a blood sport, and they're going to root for the team that they chose and just so happens to be the Republican Party. Uh, in this instance, they viewed Trump as their leader. He's kind of the face of the Republican Party. It's difficult to, to deny that. And as long as he maintains that mantle, they're going to support him but this is another group where if another candidate was able to take that away from Trump they would be just as happy I think to to support a Ron DeSantis or just as happy to support a uh Nikki Haley but these bandwagoners are, are really sort of dyed in the wool uh, Republicans more than they are dyed in the wool at Trump supporters
0: okay so these are people who are kind of already baked in are they the sort of people maybe who picked up their political leaning from their parents and never seem to change it. Are they less engaged with political discourse in a way that maybe certain people In America at all?
1: I think that that's fair. Uh, I think you would probably say a lot of these voters are maybe not the most engaged, but their family votes Republican, so they vote Republican. They're in a Republican district, so they vote Republican. Again, it's, it's sort of cultural in that sense. And if you went and asked them policy by policy, why do you feel about this on abortion? Why do you feel about this on Education. Why do you feel about this on on healthcare? They might have some difficulty, you know, articulating a real clear philosophy. But you know, it's it's sort of baked in again to part of their identity. They've always voted Republican, and so they're going to vote Republican again.
0: Finally, you speak about the the need for drama. Republicans. You classify these as a group of Republicans, and in the modern sense, they are. They're part of Donald Trump's base. But are they actually people who maybe historically? would not have been republicans
1: well it's very difficult to categorize this group because in some ways uh they're so different that it's hard to draw any kind of historical parallels you know whenever i think about the need for drama republicans i think about the chaos caucus right the matt gates of the world the marjorie taylor greens uh, of the world uh, they really want to blow up the system they don't believe that kind of the establishment way of doing politics is uh, working for them. And so in that respect, they're not very conservative at all. So they don't fit uh, very cleanly within the Republican Party. Uh, Many of these voters have radicalized even beyond Trump, right? Uh, And so I think that this is sort of interesting because we think about Trump as representing the far right of the Republican Party. But I think Donald Trump in many respects sort of created this make America great again animal. He empowered a lot of voters to think that the kinds of things that he says are are okay. He brought a lot of this chaos into mainstream politics. And some of these voters basically took it and ran with it and have gone beyond where even Trump uh, is yeah. comfortable.
0: Well, with these sort of, you know, the QAnon kind of people and the people who have really gone completely off the deep end, if they're a little bit of a... Uh almost Venn diagram crossover with reluctant Trump supporters in that when they look at mainstream politics and who say maybe they would vote for, I don't know, uh, Kennedy as a candidate, for example, who seems to be a little bit more of a wild card, but they're aware he's unlikely to to win. Whereas Trump is perhaps weirdly the, the sensible bet if you want there to not be sensible politics. Absolutely. I mean, I think some of these groups aren't all uh, mutually exclusive, but I think
1: whenever you think about the need for drama Republicans, they're not wed to Donald Trump and we saw that to some extent even with the debacle over the house speakership where donald trump was supporting kevin mccarthy was sort of the establishment choice and you know matt gates went out on a limb and said i really don't care what you think donald trump i'm i'm going to uh torpedo his his speakership um so they are sort of reluctant supporters uh in that sense but that's again where trump has just been so unique insofar as he's been able to coalesce these relatively diverse groups and that's a big part of why he's dominating uh,
0: the republican primaries right now in the polls is one thread between all of these groups that they either feel left out by mainstream politics or they feel that maybe politics has moved beyond where their politics was at for example they perhaps feel that the discussions around things are perhaps just naturally become progressive to a point beyond where they are, or on an economic level, they feel like they've just been ignored and neglected. That, to me, with all of these groups would feel like they've either feel left behind or left out. I think absolutely. You know What
1: really binds all these groups together is just anger right? Mm -hmm. Anger at the establishment, anger at Democrats, uh, feeling like no one invited them to the party, uh, feeling like they had a certain way of life that they liked and that is slowly being taken away from them, whether that's through the forces of uh, globalization, gutting many of these industrial and post-industrial towns economically, or whether that's immigration changing the demographics of these communities, or whether that's just feeling like their voice isn't represented in mainstream politics. I think that these are all reasons why Donald Trump first emerged to power. He was sort of uniquely able to identify that that groundswell existed, and he was able to kind of uniquely tap into it. Trump is as much symptomatic as he is a cause of this issue.
0: Can Biden or could another Democratic candidate win over any of these groups particularly? Or are they just baked in at this point? And for either of these candidates to win, they kind of almost have to ignore the people who actually are naturally inclined to want to vote for them. And it's just all about a group of voters that fall into the middle and seeing which one can nudge them way. Yeah.
1: I actually feel like there are just very few true swing voters and much of it just boils down to activation of the base, what the turnout ultimately is. For Joe Biden in particular, I think he really has to worry more about Democrats not showing up to the polls than he has to worry about trying to convince voters on the margins. Are there some voters that are truly on the fence and who are going to you know, enter the ballot, not knowing who they're going to pull the lever for sure. But I think that that is such a small percentage that it's almost trivial. And that's why I really do think that we're in this era now of post persuasion politics where the goal isn't to persuade voters in the middle. It's not to garner support from centrists. It's just to make sure that your voters show up, that they're galvanized, that they're mobilized, and that's how you win uh, elections.
0: Does Donald Trump have very much to, to worry about almost? That sounds like a really ludicrous question to ask about a man who has quite so many legal actions being taken against him, but on a, on a practical level when it comes to his political chances, it, it just doesn't look to me like anyone is rivaling him when it comes to the Republicans. And then when it also comes to, to going against Biden, it feels like the task is actually simpler for him than it is for Joe Biden. Joe Biden has to wrangle with being president and trying to run an election campaign. Trump can just run an election campaign and not very much else. Well, it's gotta be freeing if you're Donald Trump, knowing that you can
1: basically do whatever, whenever, and not lose any votes. I mean, that really does open you up to kind of continue to do what what you're doing and let the political process play out as it is. If there was going to be a competitor in the Republican primary field, beat Donald Trump. All the political stars were going to have to align for that candidate, and that that candidate was going to have to run a nearly perfect campaign. Instead, I think what we've seen is all the political stars aligned for Donald Trump and his competition: Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, others. They certainly haven't been flawless. But if you think about the 91 criminal indictments, when you think about what has happened in Maine and Colorado, ousting him. Uh, off the ballot temporarily. All of that clearly has been very helpful for Donald Trump. And so I think he couldn't have written out a better script politically. In the short term, does it present some distractions? Yes. Um, Does it require that he divert some of his campaign funds to his legal defense? Yes. But basically it's allowed him from the very outset to more or less run a general election campaign because he didn't have to be concerned about being uh, challenged uh, very seriously in the primaries. I mean, there's a small, small, small chance that uh, Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis could outperform in Iowa, take that momentum into New Hampshire, and then maybe quickly get into a one-on-one uh, matchup with Donald Trump. But I think that that is highly unlikely. And so at this point, it really does look like we are headed more for a coronation of Donald Trump than anything else within within the Republican uh, primary.
0: What I'm about to say might be quite hard news for for you and I to stomach, to be honest. Given that we uh, regularly spend our time talking about this sort of thing and trying to to make sense of it. You mentioned us being in a post persuasion world when it comes to politics. Are we really also just in a post-logic world? All of this is just about how people feel. It's not about anything beyond that. It's what they feel in their guts and whether they feel like Trump can give them what are generally quite base needs and which candidate might fulfill them. This is not about the sort of things we maybe would have talked about in the past and tangible, logical reasonings for voting. This is all based upon gut. It's post-logic. It's... Post truth, it's
1: pretty much post everything. (laughs) I don't know how else to (laughs) say it. Um, But you're right. The voters are very much operating on their gut, right? It's it's a very visceral feeling. You know, politics has become not just a, a debate of ideas; it's become a war of identities. And so, if you're a Republican. That's part of who you are, right? Deep down, that's part of who you are. If you're a Democrat, deep down, uh, that's part of your identity. That's that's who you are. And so, it's very difficult. I think, again, besides just on the margins to get voters to to, to shift or to pay attention or to or to say, well, you know, I really agree with the Democrat on this issue. I really agree with the Republican on this issue. How do I prioritize those competing interests? There are just very few, uh, I think, crossover voters now, um, very few Republicans who are willing to entertain voting for a Democrat and vice versa on the, on the Democratic side, um, which is, again, why I think that ultimately this is so much about um, base mobilization. I also think if there's one sort of silver lining for Joe Biden, though, it, it could be that these disapproval numbers or very low uh, approval numbers for presidents or maybe the new normal. And you know, whenever we compare Biden to you know, Clinton, for example, and you say, well, Biden's got an approval rating in the high 30s, low 40s at most, compare that to Clinton post-impeachment where he was upwards of something like 70%. Those days are just gone. right? I don't think any president is going to be able to elicit that level of support. And so to a large extent, I think it's just a matter of which politician voters dislike
0: the least. Thomas, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Jacob. Listeners, if you enjoy The Bunker USA, remember that you can back us on Patreon. From £3 per month, you'll get every episode ad-free and early. Search Bunker Patreon Podcast to find out how, or follow the link in the show notes. I'm Jacob Jarvis, and thank you for listening to The Bunker USA.
1: John O'Farrell And me, Angela Barnes Wherever
0: you get your podcasts The Bunker USA was written and presented by Jacob Jarvis The producer was Chris Tate With audio production by me, Simon Williams The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis The group editor is Andrew Harrison With music by Kenny Dickinson And artwork by James Parrott The Bunker USA is a Podmasters production.